In the early centuries of the church, the week leading up to the celebration of Easter Sunday began to take on more and more significance with each passing year. First of all, there was a celebration on Easter Sunday of the the death, burial, and, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that was a big focus of the church in those early years of the body of Christ. And then by 500 AD, focus began to also be placed on what we call Good Friday. As Christians took time to intentionally remember the events surrounding the arrest and then the trial, the mock trial, and the subsequent crucifixion and death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Historians tell us that shortly thereafter, the church also began to understand the significance of pausing during the Passion Week and to give attention to the events of what we call Monday, Thursday. Uh, That night in which Jesus and his disciples, as we have seen in the scriptures, um, partook of that last Passover meal together. And it's interesting because the name Monday Thursday comes about as a result of the term uh, Monday in the original language meant commandment. And on that last Evening, in partaking of the Passover with his disciples, Jesus used that as a valuable teaching time. In fact, we're told that the first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John deal mostly with the rejection of Jesus by the nation of Israel. Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God, reaching out to the people of God, and then ultimately being rejected by the people of God. Beginning in chapter 13 and going up to his crucifixion, Jesus takes his attention off of the populace, the multitudes. And in those final faithful days of his earthly ministry, Jesus intensely and intentionally dedicates himself to instructing those who were his true followers, those who had made life commitments to follow him. And Jesus is, in essence, pouring himself into those disciples. And so Jesus teaches them through the events of the last hours of his life, as we see in the scriptures. In fact, as we just had read by Pastor Tim and Pastor Chad out of John's gospel in chapter 13, you see Jesus teaching There are many things that he wanted his followers to know about what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? What are the characterizing uh, qualities of a citizen of the kingdom of God? And Jesus, in that chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, we know where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. He taught them, if you will, by example, loving humility. 
I'm not going to reread the passages. If you have your Bible and you want to just focus on that, those first 17 verses of chapter 13. You see, Jesus understood why he needed to teach this lesson because his disciples, like all of us, struggled with selfish pride. In fact, the Gospel of Luke tells us all the way up to this event, the Passover observance, they were bickering among themselves about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Jesus understood the nature of their heart. He knew the bent of their heart towards selfish pride. And so he teaches them a valuable lesson. And I, when I read this chapter, I can always envision it. I can see it in my mind's eyes. As they're seated around or reclined around the table, partaking of the supper. And Jesus gets up and, and does the unthinkable. As he wraps his towel around his waist and gets a basin of water. And proceeds to wash the dirty feet of his disciples. You see, in that culture, that was a task that was reserved for the lowest of the lowest of the slaves. And Jesus knew full well. His disciples had made no gesture to offer to wash his feet. He knew good and well they weren't going to wash each other's feet. And so he took it upon himself to shock them. I can just hear the gasp as the Lord stood up and began to wash the feet of his followers. And Peter, being Peter, objected. He said, oh no, Lord, you've got to wash all of me. And Jesus basically said, you're already clean because of your relationship with me. It's just your feet, Peter. It's just your feet. And so as we, as we come to this point in the ministry of Jesus, we see Him instructing us. The Lord modeled for them and He modeled for us loving service that He expects of His people. Brothers and sisters, I'm not telling you anything new. There's no room whatsoever for selfish pride in the midst of the people of God. It's just totally out of place. And that's what Jesus was wanting them to see. As far back as the 20th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus was trying to show them the contrast in perspective of worldly people and God's people. When He gathered them around Him and He says, You know how the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and they exercise their authority over them. It's not so with you. It's not the case with you. For whoever among you wants to be great will be a slave or will be a servant. And, and, and whoever among you wants to be first will be the slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And I'm sure those words came back to His disciples as they watched Him do that. On this Monday, Thursday, as we think about the wonderful example of love and humility that the Son of God demonstrated that fateful evening, might we be reminded as a body of Christ 
Even in this 21st century, might we be, be reminded that there's no better place in the world than the church for this to be exemplified, for this to be demonstrated. There should be no other place on the face of the earth better than the church to demonstrate loving humility. And so I challenge you tonight, as you reflect upon your own personal relationship with the Lord and your own personal relationship with other disciples, remember the example that Jesus taught of loving humility. But then also as Jesus began to institute the Lord's Supper, as, as, as they were observing the Passover, and I, I think about in, in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22 when he gives us that description, you know, of, of how the Lord had them set up the room and, and, and then in verse 15 of chapter 22 he says with fervent desire I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer for I tell you I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God now I promise you as a, as a leader in the Jewish community just like every faithful priest and every faithful Jewish father for centuries for centuries going back to the time of Moses any good Jewish priest any good Jewish father followed the script of Passover it was the same year after year after year you, you, you set up the table just the exact same way you had the exact same elements on the table Probably the father, after so many years, you know, with his family gathered at the Passover table, probably knew it by heart and could walk through every step of recounting to his family, his household, the events that, that transpired with the Passover and the, and, and the exodus out of Egypt and all of that. So that was expected. What wasn't expected that evening... I'm talking about with his disciples. Was as they were observing this rather normal looking Passover. The son of man. Broke with script. He did that which no one had ever done since Moses. The institution of the Lord's Supper became, became the substitution for the Passover. Because when Jesus began to break the bread, He made Himself the subject. It was no longer about Jews fleeing from slavery in Egypt. It was no longer about the death angel passing over Egypt and sparing the people of God. It was no longer about the stripes of the slaves in Egypt. It was about the broken, bruised body of the Lamb of God. And Jesus taught a valuable lesson by symbols of the loving sacrifice that accompanies being a part of the kingdom of God. 
And so Jesus, as He passed out the bread, as He broke the bread, He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Now they couldn't begin to comprehend the significance of those divine words that Jesus said. But it wouldn't be long and they would. And then when Jesus poured the cup, He said, this cup is my blood. A new covenant. No more the blood of bulls and lambs and goats and pigeons. No more the Day of Atonement over and over and over and over. Because my blood will set you free once and for all. This is a new covenant that has been given to you. This sets the stage, you see, for the commandment. I told you, Maundy Thursday. Jesus had made much of love in the Gospel of John. You may recall in the third chapter when he was addressing that Pharisee, Nicodemus. He gave him the the essence of the Gospel and wrapped it around love. When he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now listen, the Gospels and the Epistles make much of the matter of love. Jesus said in Matthew 22, when asked by the, the lawyer, the expert on the law, Master, what is the greatest of all the commandments? And Jesus, without blinking an eye, says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And the second, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, listen, the Lord makes much of love. The Bible makes much of love. In this, God demonstrated His love towards us in that He has sent His only begotten Son into this world that we, through Him, we might live, John says in his epistle in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. But that night, that night, Jesus says, and a new commandment I give unto you. And he's talking to his people. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to you and me. He's talking to anybody who carries the label of Christian. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. That you, my disciples, you love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus had already told him in John, in John, would tell him in John 15, 13, he would tell them, greater love have no man than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus was going to fulfill that. So Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So shall you love one another. And by this, All men will know that you are my disciples. And you know, church historians, 
And even secular historians of that era made observations about the early church. And one of the observations of the early church was, my goodness, how they loved one another. And so when we come together tonight at the table and observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, this is a great time to, re- to, to have a refresher course. To remember what Jesus has taught us by His example about love and humility. What Jesus has taught us by these symbols of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper about love and sacrifice. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, to love one another as Christ loves us, there will be sacrifice. There will be sacrifice. I think about in other parts of this world where Christians are being persecuted. As hard as it is for us to grasp in our setting, there are brothers and sisters in the Lord who are dying to protect other Christians. They're making the ultimate sacrifice for a fellow brother or sister in the Lord. What a great time to remember. On a smaller scale, but certainly comes close to home. I think about the call I got from Janice Levinson late this afternoon. What would cause somebody in a busy week like this to just drop everything you're doing? Take your husband and rush off and go help somebody on the other side of town. I'll tell you what it is. It's love. It's love for, of one Christian for another Christian. And that's just one example. And the Lord has shown us how it all fits into the wonderful picture of this table. Jesus came. He modeled it for us. He enacted it for us. And we get to celebrate it here tonight. As we partake of the elements of this table, we certainly want to remember His example. And I would challenge you to recommit ourselves to His commandment. Love one another as Christ has loved us. Let's bow for prayer as we prepare our hearts to observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper.